That's a clown question, bro. Hi, what's up, Bunny? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome back to the show to be named later, part two of episode 38. Uh, hope you enjoyed our Ted Williams part of the episode. Now we are talking about the 1995 Seattle Mariners, a legendary team, probably the most important, maybe, maybe the most important team, particularly for their city uh, ever. Yeah. And, so, yeah. Going into 1995, this team was abysmal. They only had two winning seasons in their 19 year history. They had zero playoff appearances, and their best winning percentage, percentage for a single season was 512. They just barely sniffed 500 a couple of times. That's the best thing they've ever done uh, coming into 95. And 94 was not one of those seasons. In fact, they were 49 and 63. Uh, in the strike sword and season. And the Kingdome, their stadium, it was falling apart. The ceiling tiles were falling onto the field. There's work that had to be done on the roof. Uh, two people, unfortunately, lost their lives uh, trying to work on this, to work on trying to fix the Kingdome. And it was very abundantly clear that the Mariners needed a new stadium, uh, but it would have required public funding. And it was extremely unlikely that a vote to, to build the team a new stadium with public funds was going to pass. Because uh, obviously the public wasn't really on their side. Because why would they be? Like they had nothing exciting on the field other than Ken Griffey Jr. Like who wants to who wants to pay all that money for for that team? So this was an yeah. important year for the Mariners because they're going to have to win the public over, and quite a bit of it. Uh, in the beginning of the season, the projections were that two thirds of the public was going to be against giving the Mariners a new stadium. And to begin the season, they they were very stable. If, if that's even, for lack of a better term, if that's even a thing. Uh, they defeated the Orioles at home uh, on May 26th, which is, in fact, that they were recording this. Uh, and on that day, they improved to 15-12, three games over 500. They're kind of treading water and hovering. Uh, they have the third-best record in the AL West, and they're only two and a half games behind the division-leading California Angels. So this team is contending. Like, there's, it, it's worth paying attention to. However... The attendance for the game on May 26th was only 15,256 people. That is 25% capacity for a Friday night home game when Randy Johnson is pitching. Randy Johnson at that point was 5-0 with a 1-6-4 ERA, and he could only draw 25% of the crowd. Also, on that same May 26th day, uh, Ken Griffey Jr., uh, of course, like I mentioned, one of the main reasons why people even cared about this team to begin with uh, makes an incredible catch uh, in center field. Chris, I believe we have the video, if you will play that. The 3-2 pitch on the way, swing, and it's a fly ball, right center field and deep. On the run, Diaz and Griffey. Griffey up against the wall, jumps up, and he makes the catch. He crashes into the fence. Griffey leaped right into the wall at the 380 mark, and he made the catch and fell to the warning track. Griffey just stayed on the warning track, and he hurt himself. Griffey dove into that fence. Alex Diaz showed everybody that he made the grab, but Griffey really hurt his left hand or his left wrist. And he did make the catch. 
amazing play. One of the best catches I have ever seen at any time. I think that's the best one I've ever seen. So, of course, an unbelievable catch. Like, you know that was on Sports Center the next day. And uh, it came at a cost. Griffey broke his wrist on the play and was sidelined for two and a half months. The Mariners were playing for their life, and they needed to do it without their superstar, their superhero, the reason that people even watch the team to begin with. So, of course, you're going to need to have people step up. Yeah, and who steps up? The best designated hitter in baseball time. You could argue best designated hitter of all time. You know, us Red Sox fans probably have an argument against that. But Edgar Martinez. I would say it. Yeah. Edgar Martinez slashed, in Griffey's absence, in 73 games, uh, he slashed 361, 505, 627 for an 1132 OPS. Also had 14 home runs and 60 RBI. Almost had an RBI per game. You know, not every game, but per game. Also, Jay Buhner, kind of a more quiet uh, part of the team prior to this uh, prior to this absence of Ken Griffey Jr. He has a 9.25 OPS during this stretch, and also uh, hits 16 home runs in 55 games. You know, not as many as Edgar Martinez. He missed most of June, uh, probably with injury complications. Mm-hmm. And then Tino Martinez, the other Martinez. Uh, the first baseman, Tino Martinez, he had a 957 OPS and 21 home runs in 70 games while Ken Griffey Jr. was out. And, you know, Ken Griffey Jr., great defensive player. It's hard to, uh, it's kind of hard to replace that defensive ability. But Alex Diaz, who was the replacement for Ken Griffey Jr. while he was out, he actually did uh, very well. He only made one error in this time, and it's not like you know he was a safe player. I mean, he made diving catch after diving catch while Griffey was gone. And probably during uh, during the stretch in which uh, in which Ken Griffey Jr. was out, probably the most bizarre ending ending to a game I've seen. Or was was it the ending to a game? Yep. We'll see. It was an absolute bizarre play. You're going to have, you're going to want to watch this on YouTube, by the way, if you're on Spotify or Apple podcast, make sure to watch this video on YouTube. This is going to be a very visual uh, part of the episode for, uh, for the audience. Here's, here's the most bizarre play maybe I've ever seen. The winning run on third. Turn away to Critter squeezes on, it's down, but it's not going to be good or is it? Yes! Wild, wild, wild way to end a, end a baseball game there, for sure. And, uh, yeah, definitely bizarre. The Mariners, you know, they're kind of, while Griffey is out, while their best player is out, they kind of tread water, but they're not, you know, very good by any stretch. They went 36 and 37 uh, while Ken Griffey Jr. was out. And uh, when Ken Griffey Jr. came back, you know, he didn't have necessarily his timing all the way there, and they lost uh, 8 out of 15 
eight out of fifteen of the games of the first fifteen. No, games. they lost. They lost on eight fifteen, August fifteenth. Oh, whoops! All right. Okay. So they lost on August fifteenth when Ken Griffey Jr. came back, and uh, you know after after that game, there were twelve and a half games out of the division, probably in a very familiar place uh, as they had been in their nineteen year franchise history and uh they had 40 they had 44 games to make up uh 12 and a half games of ground and uh you know they they gained that ground a little bit but not the they kind of backed into gaining ground in a way so the mariners actually from august 15th through september 7th they went 11 and 12 it's not the best way to go about things, but the leader in the division, the California Angels, they went five and seventeen, and uh, the Mariners, who were one game above five hundred at sixty-two and sixty-one, they were they ended up six games behind the Angels, uh, with twenty-one games left to play in the regular season, and also you know this was the first year of the uh, wild card happening, they were one game out of the American League wild card spot. So, you know, they kind of backed into a, to a good spot for, uh, for them. First time ever. So now it's go time. The Mariners woke up the morning of Friday, September 8th, with a six-game homestand ahead of them. Out of the 21 games they had left, 14 were home, seven were away. So the schedule was in their favor. Uh, they were also 11 days away from the King County election to give them a new stadium. If the vote doesn't pass, the Mariners are going to be sold, and if they're sold, it's almost guaranteed that they're going to be relocating. So if there's a time to win over the fans and keep the team in Seattle, it's right here, right now. September 8th, the Mariners have the Kansas City Royals in town. The Royals, keep in mind, are right, right with them for the AL wild card. The Mariners win 4-1. to one. Randy Johnson improves the 14-2 after pitching seven innings of one-run ball. Luis Soho hits a two-run home run, go-ahead shot for the Mariners in the third. And the newly acquired Norm Charlton records the save. However, the Angels beat the Twins that day 9-3. to So the Mariners are still six games out, and they are now in a tie with the Royals for the wild card spot. September 9th, 10 days until the election. Time's a ticking. The Mariners beat the Royals again 6-2 to with Andy Bennis going eight innings allowing two runs. Also, Tino Martinez hits a three-run home run, and Buner goes back-to-back with him. But the Angels beat the Twins once again 6-5. to They're still six games out, but the Mariners now lead the wild-card spot. That leads into September 10th, where they close out the series against the Royals, and they sweep the Royals with a 5-4 to victory. Joey Cora gets a go-ahead double in the eighth to secure that victory. Norm Charlton, I'm assuming, probably closes that out. And finally, the Angels are able to lose, and uh, they lose to the Twins 9-8 to in extra innings, and uh, the Angels actually kind of beat themselves in a way. That, uh, that last run against the Twins was allowed on an error, and the Mariners are finally gaining some ground. They're now five games behind the California Angels. September 11th, eight days until the election. The Mariners lose a 12-10 slugfest to the Twins, 
They blow a 6-3 to three lead after giving up nine runs in the 7th and 8th combined. And the Angels beat the White Sox 4-1, to one, so now we're back to square one, back to six games behind. September 12th, seven days until the election. The Mariners route the Twins 14-3. Jay Buhner hits two home runs. Mike Blowers and Dan Wilson also go deep. But the Angels beat the White Sox 3-1, to one, and they're still six games out. They are also uh, half a game out of the wild card spot uh, to the Yankees. Yeah, they are not in an ideal spot on September 13th, which is six days prior to the election. And also, you have to consider getting down four to nothing, which is what they ended up doing. They were down four to nothing in the bottom of the seventh and had an 11% chance to win the game. But the Mariners, in their 1995 fashion, come back. Mike Blowers hits a game-tying home run in the – in the seventh inning, and then, and that was after Jay Buhner hit an RBI single. And in the eighth, Tino Martinez comes up clutch and hits a go-ahead single in the eighth, and then Jay Buhner, to secure the victory, hits a three-run home run to put the game away. Mariners win that game 7-4. to four. Angels lose their game against the White Sox, uh, losing 6-1, to one, and the Mariners are back being five games back of the pesky California Angels. Then on September 14th, it's five days until the election. Uh, the Mariners have an off day and also the Angels have an off day. So an uneventful September 14th, and then they're back to action. Both the Angels and the Mariners are back in action on September 15th. So now there's four days until the election. The Mariners hit the road to Chicago and they take the series opener against the White Sox 3-2. Vince Coleman, their leadoff hitter, went 4-4, four for four, finishing a homer away from the cycle. He also drove in two runs, and he scored two runs and drove in the other one uh, in the 3-2 win. The Angels get shut out by the Royals 5-0. So now the Mariners are only four games back, and they are leading the wildcard chase one game above the Yankees. September 16th. Three days until the election. The Mariners beat the White Sox 5-3. Dan Wilson hit a go-ahead home run in the top of the ninth. The Angels lose to the Royals 7-6. They gave up six runs in the first inning. Three games back. And then on September 17th, it's two days until the election. But the Mariners do not help their case this time, unlike you know, a lot of the previous games they played up to this point they lose two to one of the White Sox and it's not like they didn't get any base runners they got base runners but they left a lot of men on they went one for 11 with runners in scoring position but luckily the Angels were able to lose their game against the Royals and they were still three games out of the uh, division race and they were also still leading the wild card race by one game September 18th, one day until the election. The Mariners are back at the Kingdom to face the Texas Rangers, and they win the opener 8-1. to one. Edgar Martinez and Mike Blowers both homer, and the Angels get shut out by the Oakland A's. They are two games back. And now, September 19th. This is it. The day of fate. The Mariners are playing a Tuesday night game against the Rangers 
while the votes are simultaneously being counted and updated live on TV. And the story uh, that I'm about to tell is being told through the eyes of Mike Gastineau, who is a Seattle sports media, uh, who is in Seattle sports media as a radio host. He says, quote, I went to the game and left in the third inning because I was too nervous to watch baseball. He then goes to a local bar, which is packed with Mariner fans, and half the TVs are showing the game. The other half are showing the election results that are coming in. He said, quote, it was like being in someone else's movie. So Mark McLemore from the Rangers hits a home run uh, to put them up four to one. The Rangers' win probability gets as high as 92%, so the Mariners had an 8% chance of winning this game at one point. While the Mariners are trailing, so is the stadium vote. The Mariners start to chip away. Griffey hits a solo home run in the eighth to make it a 4-2 game, and in the eighth, or in the ninth, the Mariners are down to their final two outs of the night. Doug Strange comes in. Doug Strange comes in and hits a go-ahead home run. I'm sorry, a pinch hit, game-tying home run. And later in extras, Griffey comes up with the running, winning run on. Cook taking a lot of time is finally into his stretch. The 2-2 pitch to Ken Griffey Jr. now from Dennis Cook. Here it comes, and it swung on and lined off the glove of the third baseman. So Griffey hits that game-winning single, and all of a sudden, the vote starts getting neck and neck. It's dead even. And a few minutes before that walk-off, the Angels also lost in a walk-off. All of a sudden, the vote passes. People are hugging in the streets of Seattle, and the Mariners are saved, right? Well, not exactly. Mariners CEO John Ellis gets a phone call at 4 a.m. saying that the absentee ballots are now coming in. And, well, they weren't pretty. And in the end, the stadium vote lost by 1,082 votes. Despite all the efforts, the vote fails. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean it's all over. Hold that thought and stay tuned. We'll get back to it later. Well, the Mariners on September 20th definitely – helped their case. They score 11 runs on 20 hits, and they scored 10 runs over the first five innings. Ken Griffey Jr. hit a home run. Luis Soho also hit a home run to go along with a four for five day and six RBI. That completed the sweep of the Rangers. The Angels on the other side of the race, the Angels had a miraculous six run ninth inning, and it was highlighted by home runs by Tim Salmon and Garrett Anderson. But unfortunately for the Angels, the Oakland Athletics were already winning nine to nothing 
at the start of the inning. So it was a 9-6 victory for the Oakland Athletics. And the Mariners are tied with the Angels. Tied with the Angels for the division lead. Then on September 21st, both teams have off days again, and nothing obviously changes. So just to recap, the Mariners made up six games in eight days. That is unprecedented at a time where they needed it most. So now it's Friday, September 22nd. The Mariners welcome in the Oakland A's for a three-game series. The recorded attendance at the Kingdom, according to baseball reference, was 51,500. They nearly sold that dump of a stadium out because people wanted to see this team. And, well, the Mariners weren't exactly giving them a show. The Mariners were losing 6 to nothing after three innings, and the A's win probability was up to 94%. In the bottom of the third, Griffey led off with a home run to make it 6-1. to one. Mike Blowers later doubled to make it 6-2. Luis Soho walks and Dan Wilson singles to load the bases with two outs for Vince Coleman. Bases full for Vince Coleman. Coleman's first career grand slam and what amounted to the biggest Mariner comeback of the year. So that was Vince Coleman's 85th career plate appearance with the bases loaded and it was his first grand slam. It was one of five home runs that he hit that season but it was the only one that he hit with the Mariners because he was traded midway through the season. So he picked a great time to do it. Uh, the A's did unfortunately take the lead back in the seventh, but Edgar Martinez hit a game-tying home run in the eighth, followed by a three-run home run by Alex Diaz to make it 10-7, to and the score would stay that way for the rest of the game. The Angels lost 8-3 to to the Rangers, boosting the Mariners into sole possession of first place. Now, this is completely uncharted territory for this franchise. Before 1995, the latest in a season the Mariners had ever been in sole possession of first place was May 22nd of 1994. And that wasn't even a meaningful first place. They were 19 and 23 with the fifth worst record in the AL, but the rest of the division stunk. So they happened to just be in first by accident. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty crazy statistic. Pretty crazy uh, thing to bring up there. And in September, on September 23rd, the Mariners continue their absolute dominance. Randy Johnson, the ultimate example of that, goes seven and a third, four hits, no runs, three walks, and the most astoundingly, 15 strikeouts in those seven and a third innings. 15 out of uh, 22 outs were strikeouts. Jay Buhner, also spectacular, hit two home runs, and the Mariners ended up winning seven to nothing. And the recorded attendance for that game was 54,589. And on the other side of the on the other side of the race, the Angels lose again five to one to the Rangers. The Mariners are now two games up on the Angels. Now it's Sunday, September 24th. The A's take a six to three lead in the fifth inning off a home run by Mark McGuire. The Mariners chipped away 
uh, and Edgar hit a two-run double to tie the game in the seventh inning. And Dan Wilson hit an RBI single to put the M's on top. And Norm Charlton comes on to record a 7-6 save. After walking McGuire, he promptly gives up a two-run go-ahead home run to Danny Tartable, and it's now eight to seven A's. In the bottom of the ninth, Griffey lines out for the first out of the ninth, and the A's then bring on Hall of Fame closer Dennis Eckersley. The winning percentage is at 87% for Oakland. Uh, Eck starts his outing by walking Edgar Martinez, which brings up Tino Martinez, the other of the tandem. Against Dennis Eckersley, as the Mariners trail eight to seven. Here comes the pitch to Tino. Swung on and built the deeper right field, and that will be going away. And the Mariners win a nine to eight in perhaps the most incredible game in their history. And forty-six thousand fans are losing their minds here in Seattle tonight. I'll guarantee you it will be sleepless. As Dave Niehaus in that video said, the most improbable game in their history. The Mariners are playing out of their minds like they've never done before in the 20 years that they've been a franchise. And now, when it matters the most, they're showing their true colors. The Angels, however, they finally won. They broke their nine-game losing streak while simultaneously the Mariners were on a six-game win streak. So the Angels are playing to take that momentum into Seattle, into the Kingdome. On September 25th, both teams had off days, and the Angels obviously, as said, were going to Seattle to uh, settle, settle this division race, potentially. And on September 26th, the Mariners' offense comes to play, no doubt about it, gets six extra base hits, and you know, with those extra base hits, Ken Griffey Jr. and Jay Buhner both homered. Andy Bennis, he had seven and a third innings of one-run baseball, and the Mariners win that game and get a three-game lead on the California Angels. And then on September 27th, the script is flipped a little bit. This time it's the Angels shutting down the Seattle Mariners. Uh, Chuck Finley, Troy Percival, and Hall of Famer Lee Smith uh, shut it down, shut it down, uh, shut the Mariners down, and the Angels won that game two to nothing. But the Mariners still have a comfortable two game lead on those Angels. So now it's September 28th. The Mariners are in Texas, looking to clinch the division for the first time in their history. Their magic number is three, with three games, I'm uh, sorry, four games left to play in the regular season. The game is tied 2-2 two two in the eighth. The bases are loaded with two outs for none other than the kid, of course. None other than the kid. Who else do you want up besides Ken Griffey Jr.? Pitch on the way to Ken Griffey Jr. And it's swung on and belted! Oh, my God. 
that would put the Mariners up 6-2, to two, and the score stayed that way they won. The Angels defeated Oakland 4-1, to one, and Seattle's magic number was at 2. So now it's September 29th, and we got a stadium update. The, the, final, uh, the final vote was actually tallied on that day, and this, the following is a statement uh, from a Seattle Times article that came out regarding the situation. Quote, Mariners Chief Executive John Ellis tells King County Executive Gary Locke that if the county doesn't come up with a plan for a new stadium within 30 days, the ball club will go up for sale. His original intent had been to sell, had been to put the team up for sale immediately, but Governor Mike Lowry and Locke convinced him to wait a month. So the Mariners were going to sell. Like they were set on selling if this vote didn't pass, but all of a sudden, they're playing the best baseball of their lives, and the city loves it. Everyone's coming out to support the team. And the county is like, no, 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 give it a chance. Let's see what happens. And, of course, there's now 30 days to decide if the Mariners are staying in Seattle or not. But for now, they got to worry about the on-the-field play to even determine the off-the-field play. The Mariners have a chance to clinch the division on this day with the win combined with an Angels loss. The Rangers are leading 3-2 to two in the eighth. And the Mariners get sack flies from both Edgar and Tino Martinez to take a 4-3 lead, and they win by that score. The Angels win 9-6, and their magic number goes down to 1. So now they can clinch with either a win or an Angels loss. But on September 30th, the Mariners pitching did not come to play. They gave up seven runs in the first two innings and end up losing that game Nine to two. Meanwhile, the Angels, on the other side of the division, they win nine to three, and that division lead shrinks down to one. And there is one game left to play in the regular season for both teams. And on October first, the Mariners' starting pitching folds for a second consecutive day, and they lose that game nine to three. The Angels, meanwhile, they they keep winning. They win 8-2, to two, and that means that there will be a tiebreaker game in Seattle to, de- to decide who wins the division. The Yankees already clinched the wild card, so it's win or go home. It is October 2nd. The Mariners, it is huge for them to be in the kingdom in front of their home fans. The Mariners were 45 and 27 at home during the season. So home field was huge for them. The recorded attendance for this game was 52,356. It is a 1.30 afternoon game on a Monday, and nobody knew that this game was happening 24 hours ago. Impromptly, the Mariners fans showed up in the masses. Randy Johnson versus Mark Langston, their records respectively 17 and 2 and 15 and 6. Um, the Angels could not use Chuck Finley because he pitched the previous day. And it is a one nothing pitcher's duel in the seventh. Uh, the one run came in the fifth in form of an RBI single from Vince Coleman. So the Mariners are up, and they load the bases in the bottom of the seventh inning with two outs. And former Angel, Luis Soho, comes up to bat. Now the broken bat. has scored. Tino Martinez has scored. And they 
what you just saw was at that moment the biggest hit in Mariners history. You got to keep in mind they're playing for their life on this day. If they don't win this game, they don't play anymore. And the public's probably not going to really care that much if they only gave them, you know, that much of a that much of a run only to lay down and die in the first chance they got uh, at some sort of postseason atmosphere. And Luis Soho puts the game away with that hit. And the game was pretty much over that point because Randy Johnson, of course, was pitching. And he goes the distance, so to speak. Now the left-hander ready. Branding iron hot. The one-two pitch. Kane started. It's over. Right over the heart of the pipe. Randy looks to the skies. That is covered by the dome and bedlam as the Mariners now erupt. Everybody charging Randy Johnson out there and the fans coming out on the field. Security's going to have a problem. But 19 long years of frustration is over. And the Mariner players now being protected by security. The fans, a fan almost clips Lou Pinella. And the Mariners now are going to have to be escorted off the field by security. But my friends, this is just indescribable. An absolutely beautiful moment. The Mariners are going to the playoffs for the first time in their history in one of the strangest, most improbable ways it could have happened. Randy Johnson for that game, nine innings pitched, three hits, one run, one walk, and 12 strikeouts, a game score of 82. Of course, that's that. Uh, we went over a lot last week in our 01 Diamondbacks episode. And in the regular season, Randy Johnson wins the Cy Young. He goes 18-2. and two. He leads the league in ERA with a 2.48, strikeouts with 294, ERA plus with 193. That means he was 93% above the average pitcher for that season. A whip of 1.045, a, a hits per nine of 6.7, home runs per nine of 0.5, and strikeouts per nine of 12.3. That second the record at the time also. And the team uh, went 20, 27-3 and three in his starts. 34.1% uh, of their wins came in Randy Johnson's starts. Also on August 11th, uh, he was 7-0 with a 145 ERA and a 496 OPS plus against. The team won all 10 of his starts. And that was from August 11th on. And also, after 1875, he and Greg Maddox uh, in 1995 were the only pitchers to finish with a 900-plus winning percentage, minimum 20 decisions. Edgar Martinez had the best DH season ever. Uh, he led all DH seasons since the DH was incorporated in 1973 uh, per single seasons in average with a 356, OBP with a, with a 479, OPS with an 1107, Woba with a 469, and weighted runs above average with 72.5. No one else is above 70. And second in weighted runs created plus with 82. Manny Ramirez beat him one season. Uh, and he finished third in the MVP voting that season. Jay Buhner, he hit 14 home runs in the month of September. He had a 909 OPS, which gave him fifth in the MVP. And of course, we're talking about Jay Buhner, so we would be remiss uh, to mention the one time that he was featured 
in a segment on the one and only Seinfeld. I can't believe it. He was so young. How could this have happened? Well, he'd been logging some pretty heavy hours. First one in in the morning, last one to leave at night. That kid was a human dynamo. Are you sure you're talking about George? You are Mr. and Mrs. Costanza. What the hell did you trade Jay Buna for? <laughs> he had 30 home runs and over 100 RBIs last year. He's got a rocket for an arm. You don't know what the hell you're doing. Well, Buna was a good prospect, no question about it. But my baseball people love Ken Phelps' bat. They kept saying, Ken Phelps, Ken Phelps. So that, of course, is the legendary Seinfeld segment of Jay Buna. Also, Jerry Stiller, the man who played Frank Costanza, uh, in that, uh, recently passed away about a week or so ago on May 11th. Uh, rest in peace to him. Thank you for the laughs. And of course, that is the Jay Buhner segment. Tino Martinez hit 293, 369, 551 with a 920 OPS, 31 home runs, 111 RBIs, and a 135 OPS plus. Also, Mike Blowers, 96 RBIs on the season. Very underrated and impressive. So now... They're going into the American League Division Series versus the Yankees, who, oh, by the way, were 18-4 and four after September 8th. That was the one team in the league that was had a better record than the Mariners after that time. And keep in mind, just because you made the playoffs doesn't mean your franchise is saved. You're going to have to give your fans something to cheer about in the playoffs. You know, you're not going to win the public over if you get to the playoffs just to be snuffed out by the Yankees as quickly as possible. So you need to get something going. So that leads to game one. Hosted by the Yankees, and uh, baseball didn't really know what they were doing at the time because they had they had the worst team host the first two games, which I, I still I just don't understand. And the Mariners were definitely at the disadvantage at the disadvantage there uh, to to start the series. It's Chris Bosio versus David Cohn, and David Cohn is the reigning Cy Young Award winner, and. This is Ken Griffey Jr.'s first experience of the postseason. And, you know, he's the face of baseball. So, you know, you have to wonder, what's he going to do with the pressure of, A, the postseason, and, B, the, the bright lights of the Bronx? Let's see, how he, let's see how he handled that. ...to me in spring training and said that I've had, I would have three hitters with 100 RBIs and one with 96, and none of them would be Ken Griffey Jr. I thought you were crazy. He couldn't get there because of the injury that kept him out of those 73 games. Rips it deep! Goodbye home run hitting the facade of the upper deck at Yankee Stadium. And it is a 2-1 Yankee lead. Folks, that was a shot. Remember, we saw David Cohn go in last inning and consult with Gene Monahan, the trainer of the Yankees. They were looking at the blister. The blister gives him trouble on the fourth ball. Griffey had a home run in the fourth inning, leading it off. One for three in the ballgame. 4-2, Yankee lead. Runner at first, one down. Deep to right field. Way back, he has done it again. Goodbye, home run. Ken Griffey Jr. said to his teammates, get on my back and I will carry you. He is carrying them in game one. 
Well, they were able to ride Jay Buhner the last few weeks of the season, but Ken Griffey Jr. said, you can ride on my back for the playoffs, and he's done it. Not a problem for Mr. Ken Griffey Jr. Not a problem for the kid. Ken Griffey Jr. handles that spotlight very well, but unfortunately, uh, the uh, those two home runs were not enough to give the Mariners the victory. Mariners actually gave up four runs in the seventh inning, and most notably on a home run by Ruben Sierra. And the Yankees ended up winning game one of the American League Division Series by the score of nine to six. So now we're looking at game two. It's, it's an all-Andy matchup of Andy Bennis and Andy Pettit. Vince Coleman hits a solo home run in the third to put the Mariners on top. But Bernie Williams answered him with a double to tie the game uh, later in the fifth. And the tie didn't last very long as Tino Martinez hits a double in the sixth to make it 2-1. And the bottom of the sixth was led off for the Yankees by Ruben Sierra and Don Mattingly, who, by the way, Mattingly, his first uh, playoff appearance ever in what ended up being his last season. Venice and Andy Pettit. Drill the right field. Ruben Sierra put the mustard on her, baby. Goodbye, home run. Remember all the breaking balls we've seen on the outer part of the plate? Andy Bennis knew that he got too much of the plate with that slider. You know, a lot of guys don't do this when they hit home runs but then again a lot of guys don't hit them that far and never get the opportunity a lot of guys don't hit home runs during the season 44 rbis and 215 at bats for ruben sierra don mattingly the fans want a dinger out of him this one by mattingly oh hang on Like Kerry Thorne said, they might tear the roof off of that place at that moment. But the Mariners fought right back in the seventh with RBIs from Soho and Griffey to take a 4-3 lead. And Paul O'Neill then ties it 4-4 the next inning. So it's a back-and-forth game. And the score would remain that way for quite a while. So let's skip to, say, the 12th inning. It's deep into extras. Norm Charlton and Jeff Nelson are both dealing for the Mariners. Bob Wickman and John Wetland are doing the same for the Yankees. The Mariners are batting in the 12th. And, of course, Ken Griffey Jr., the face of baseball himself, steps up to the plate against John Wetland. Griffey with an RBI in this game, four in the series. He drills it deep to right field towards the gap, 385. Mark, goodbye! Home run, he has done it again! His teammates were on board, and he delivered. Get on my back and ride it. It is a 5-4 Seattle lead. As Junior delivers his third home run of this series. 
So, of course, the Mariners are leading now. Three outs away from going into Seattle with a 1-1 series tie, essentially having a home field advantage. In the bottom of the 12th, Tim Belcher is now pitching for the M's. Uh, there's a man on first for the Yankees with one out. He walks Bernie Williams and then gets Paul O'Neill to fly out. One out to go. First and second for the Yankees. And the Mariners have to get through the toughest out in the lineup, which is Ruben Sierra. Let's see how this at-bat was handled. Registered a five-mile walk over there. Swung on, left field, Diaz back, back, at the wall, Diaz looking, off the top of the wall, one run in, Yankees can win it, relay throw coming, Soho front of the plate, and they got him, it's tied up, the game is tied. Soho on the relay to take out Bernie Williams, will end the inning. Posada scores. I know that wasn't a home run, but I feel like Ruben Sierra doesn't get enough credit for having one of the best home run shots of all time. Yeah, he uh, he really spiced it up. He almost looked like Ray Lewis. Yeah. In the batter's box. Yeah. Um, also, one thing that doesn't really get talked about in this play, uh, Alex Diaz made a huge save when the ball like ricocheted off the wall and hit directly off his knee. If that hit anywhere else, that winning run probably scores. Absolutely, yeah. So now it's tied up and the game continues. Uh, deep into extras, the Yankees bring on this young kid uh, by the name of Mariano Rivera to make his first ever postseason appearance. Uh, despite having a 5.51 ERA in the regular season and 67 innings pitched, uh, this Rivera kid is actually able to get through three and a third scoreless innings. And in the 15th, Yankees catcher Jim Leeritz comes up with a man on first with one out trying to win the game for New York and put them up two games to nothing heading into the kingdom. Belcher set and the three one swung on and driven a deep right. It is high. It is far. It is gone. A two run game winning home run by Jimmy Lyrics and the Yankees have won the game in 15, seven, five Yankees win. He high fives Strawberry. They're mobbing him at home plate. They're absolutely mobbing Jim Lairitz at home plate. He goes down to the ground. You gotta see the Yankees. They're behind home plate. They got the biggest smiles on their face. You cannot believe how this team is reacting. A team that doesn't show much emotion is going absolutely ballistic. Jim Lairitz with a game-winning home run. What a moment at the stadium. This is one. So as you just heard Michael K say, like. The Yankees that show no emotion all of a sudden now have all the momentum and they're showing it on the field. As for the Mariners, they lose a heartbreaker, the most brutal loss in their history. And now they got to go play for their lives again for three times in a row. You have to go three and O oh to keep your franchise alive. Yes. And also one thing that should be said about this 95 Yankees bunch is you know, most Yankees teams are loaded with playoff experience. They did not have a lot of playoff experience. They had not been to the playoffs since, like, since like 1982 or something like that, or yeah. 1981. I forget. So, you know, they were still, you know, they're the Yankees, but they were still kind of playoff starved. So they still had that energy of a team who really wanted it. So it makes what the Mariners might be able to do 
uh, even more impressive. So in game three, they go back to the kingdom for the rest of the series, as Daniel uh, previously mentioned. And luckily for the Mariners, they have their ace on the mound, Randy Johnson, and he's facing 1993 Cy Young Award winner Jack McDowell. And the game was scoreless until Bernie Williams of the New York Yankees led off the fourth with a solo home run to put the Yankees out in front. And now this puts the Mariners in a situation that's, that was absolutely horrifying to them. They are now losing in an elimination game, and it's going to be hard to climb back from this. And, you know, all this work that they've done, everything that they've put into this franchise, everything that they've done to try and save this franchise and save baseball in the city that they're playing in might be all for nothing if they can't come back from losing in this elimination game. You know, making the playoffs, just getting there isn't going to do it for uh, this city and this owner. You know, and they how they react to this, they're able to they're able to score. In the bottom of the fifth, Edgar Martinez leads off with a walk. And then hit the other Martinez on the team, the other Martinez on the squad. The other Martinez on the squad, Tino Martinez, is able to come up to the plate and try and extend their season and get this get this lead against Jack McDowell. They set up outside. Comes back inside. Look out! Put that baby on the score. Mariners lead it to one on the Tino Martinez two-run shot. They are up two to one because of what Edgar and Tino Martinez are able to do. Then, then in the sixth inning, they score four more runs from RBIs from Tino Martinez again, Jay Buhner, Mike Blowers, and Luis Soho. Randy Johnson pitched spectacularly, and the Mariners were able to win seven to four and live to play another day. So now it's game four. Scott Kamianeki is pitching for the Yankees against Chris Basio of the Mariners. And it was a rocky start. The Yankees scored three in the first and then another two in the third. It's five to nothing Yankees. The win probability is at 90%. Joey Cora leads off with a single in the bottom of the, thir- in the, bottom of the third, followed by another single by Griffey. And then it was time for the best offensive player in the league, Edgar Martinez, the greatest DH uh, arguably of all time, to do his thing.
So now they're back in it. It's a five to three game. And the Mariners later tie the game after a sack fly by Luis Soho and an RBI ground out by Dan Wilson. In the sixth, the game is still tied. And guess who's coming up to try and change that? Of course, it's none other than Ken Griffey Jr. Ken Griffey Jr. coming up. The Mariners, who were down five to nothing in jeopardy of losing their entire franchise three innings ago, are now winning. They've come all the way back. They're on top of the world. They have all the momentum on their side. Anything that the Yankees had in New York with momentum, it's gone. Now they got to gain it back. Paul O'Neill hits a shot to tie the game at six in the eighth inning. Now it's the bottom of the eighth. John Wetland comes in. Vince Coleman leads off of the walk. Joey Cora hits a single. And then Griffey comes up and is hit by a pitch. Okay, it's not going to be him this time. Bases are loaded. The next batter, of course, would be Edgar Martinez, who already homered in this game. And John Wetland one more time set. And here comes the 2-2 pitch to Edgar Martinez now. And a fastball swung on and hit the deep center field. Bernie Williams goes back and it is. Get out the right bread and the mustard this time, Grandma. It is a grand salami. And the Mariners lead it 10-6. I don't believe it. And there it is. That right there was the nail in the coffin for this game. So Edgar, of course, uh, had seven RBIs in this game. Chris, I'm about to read to you the list of people who had seven RBIs in a single postseason game before Edgar did it. Are you ready? Here we go. Let's go. All right. And that's the list of people. I mean, incredible company that Edgar Martinez is, is joining. I mean, uh, with, the last guy you just mentioned, I can't oh believe he's on that same level. Exactly. Like, you would never think to compare Edgar to him, but he's really there. Yeah, so the he's Mariners up there win with the all, those, all those guys. The Mariners win the game 11-8. to eight. They force a do-or-die game five because it's a best-of-five division series. So now here it is. This is the fight for Seattle. David Cohn 
Andy Bennis for everything. In the bottom of the second, the M's had men on second and third with one out, but they flubbed the opportunity as Soho and Wilson both strike out. The game was scoreless until the third inning when Joey Cora, a man with eight career home runs to this point, comes up to bat. important is Cone gets him and this one's deep to right field O'Neill goes back it's deep deep and Joey Cora hits a home run the Mariners lead it That is an uncharacteristic move from Cora, but it's he did it when they needed it most. This is the most important game in the history of the Seattle Mariners, and I'm saying that for the probably the fifth time in the last month, at least, probably even more. The next half inning, Bernie Williams draws a one-out walk against Bennis, paving the way for Paul O'Neill. Sting the Mariners again. He does. Look out. O'Neill's got one out of here. Put it on the scoreboard, and the Yankees bounce ahead on O'Neill's home run. There is a tradition that uh, perhaps started at Wrigley Field. So now the Yankees are up two to one. In the bottom of the fourth, Tino Martinez hits a one-out double and later goes to third on a wild pitch to bring up Mr. Seinfeld himself, Jay Buhner, with a chance to tie the game. So now it's tied up, two to two. In the top of the sixth, Bennis walked three consecutive batters, giving Don Mattingly an opportunity to give New York back the lead. Don Mattingly coming up to the plate. Opportunity to take the lead. Bases loaded. Slaps one into left field, down into that corner. It's fair. The Yankees will score. It's a ground rule double. Yankees lead it by two. Don Mattingly's ground rule double to left field. Scores Williams and O'Neill, and the Yankees jump up 4-2. So now it's a 4-2 Yankee lead. The Mariners have dug themselves into a hole. And oh, by the way, there are men on second and third with one out. They could very easily put this game away right here. Mike Stanley comes up for the Yankees. The first pitch is called a strike. 
That is a foul ball. So he's in an 0-2 hole. The next two pitches are balls. So it's a 2-2 count. And then the next pitch, Stanley fights off two pitches for foul balls. And then Bennis throws another ball. It's a full count. Oh, by the way, the bases are loaded because the previous batter was actually intentionally walked. So now if Bennis throws a ball, it's a 5-2 game. Stanley pops up to foul territory, and the catcher is under it. Two outs. Huge, huge out for the Mariners. The next batter, however, is no easier. It's Tony Fernandez, a man who had a 308 career postseason average entering today, as well as a 288 career average with the bases loaded. And also, he doubled off Bennis in the previous inning. So you got to be careful around this guy. And unfortunately, two pitches in, it's 2-0. Now that now you're in a dangerous situation here. It's 2-0. The guy has pretty much already has you figured out. So you got to throw one in there because you can't make it 3-0, but you also can't give him a meatball. So what happens? He fouls it off. It's a 2-1 count. Huge pitch if you really think about it. Bennis then follows with another ball, and it's 3-1. It's a 3-1 count. And Fernandez hits another foul ball once again, loading the count. He then flies out to left field. Inning over, disaster averted. The score remains 4-2 on a huge end of an outing for Bennis. So then, in the bottom of the sixth, the Mariners waste the leadoff double from Edgar, and things are, are looking really bleak. Skip to the bottom of the eighth. It's a 4-2 score. David Cohn is still going strong, and he retires Joey Cora for the first out of the inning. The Mariners are now five outs away from literal elimination off the face of this earth, essentially, and the Yankees' win probability is at 86%. So now Ken Griffey Jr. comes up. He needs to do anything to get this crowd going because we know how much home field advantage means to the Mariners. Like, they are so much better when the crowd is going when the kingdom is amped up and junior, the face of the franchise essentially has one more chance to give the fans something to cheer for. So here he comes. What's he going to do? That's Reggie Jackson in the crowd watching Junior put on this performance. When he needed it most, he got it, of course. It's now 4-3. to three. Edgar grounds out for the second out, and now the Mariners are four outs away from dissolving as a franchise. Tino Martinez draws a walk with two outs. Buner singles, and then Alex Diaz walks. So who's going to come up with the bases loaded and two outs in the most critical situation in the entire history of the Seattle Mariners so far? Of course, that'll be Doug Strange, the man who hit a pinch hit home run to tie the game in the ninth inning on election day. His fourth plate appearance in the series, 
comes against a very tired David Cohn, who is still out there. Get a pinch hit home run off Jeff Russell to win a game against the Rangers in September. That's a lot. And Strange steps in on him. have come back to tie this game in the eighth off a walk by Doug Strange. The Yankees now bring on Rivera and he strikes out Mike Blowers on three pitches. Makes him think he should have been in earlier. Uh, in the top of the ninth, Norm Charlton allows the first two Yankees to reach base and his day was done. So what's Lou Pinella going to do now? Well, let's just say he's about to make the ultimate power move. <laughs> There's Pinella discussing right now with Charlton. No, he's out of off of one days of rest, a hundred over a hundred pitches being thrown the day before or a couple days before, Randy Johnson is now pitching in this game. He retires Wade Boggs, Bernie Williams, and Paul O'Neill in order to get out of the jam. And now the game goes into extras as Randy strikes out the side in the tenth. And then in the eleventh, Randy Valvardi is on the pinch hit with a man on first when a with a man on second and one out for the Yankees, and he is a 462 career average against Randy Johnson uh, coming into this at bat, 18 for 39, in fact. So let's see if this move by Buck Showalter works out. 
Astros. In the top of the 11th inning, Mike Stanley walked to lead off the inning against Randy Johnson, who was on in relief. Tony Fernandez laid down a sacrifice bunt, which moved Pat Kelly to second and set up Randy Velarde for his big moment. Base hit. Kelly coming around. He's going to score on Coleman. Yankees lead it now. So Randy Velarde has just put the Mariners down to their final three outs. They might not exist if they can't rally in the next inning. So Jack McDowell is now on to close the series out for the Yankees. And you got Joey Cora, Griffey Jr., and Edgar Martinez do up for the Mariners. So like I just mentioned, Joey Cora steps in to lead it off, trying to set the tone for one more miraculous rally. We've seen so many of them from this team over the last month, and they need it now more than ever. Jack McDowell on Friday night, working five in the third innings, gave up five runs, struck out four, but he walked four. There's that bunt, and Mattingly, again, he makes the move, and he didn't get it. We're going to have the same argument. No, Dan Morrison said no. Mere inches between Cora's jersey and Mattingly's glove is the difference between an out and a leadoff single, which makes all the difference in the world in baseball with momentum. After that, Griffey Jr., of course, hits a single through the hole up the middle to bring Cora to third. It's first and third. Nobody out for the best hitter in the league, Edgar Martinez. The Mariners could win the game right here and most likely live on as the Seattle Mariners, or they could crumble and be dead for good. Introducing Fate in Seattle, brought to you by the one and only legendary Dave Niehaus. Love a base hit into the gap, and they could win it with junior speed, the stretch. And the 0-1 pitch on the way to Edgar Martinez. Swung on the line, down the left field line for a base hit. Here comes Joy. Here is Junior to third base. They're going to wave him in. The throw to the plate will be late. The Mariners are going to play for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My, oh, my. Edgar Martinez with a double. Ripped down the left field line, and they are going crazy at the kingdom. And there it is. The Mariners have completed the miracle to end all miracles and won this series after being down two games to nothing and also being down in all three of the games in Seattle. Edgar Martinez, the guy with a game-winning hit, 571, 667, 1,000, 1677 slash line for the series. Two home runs, 10 RBIs, six walks. Ken Griffey Jr. in his first postseason series, 391, 444, 1043, 1488 for a slash line. Five home runs in the series. Also, Jay Buhner went 
1125. And Tino Martinez went 409, 480, 571, 1071. Lastly, Joey Cora, 316, 409, 526, 935. The Mariners have done the unthinkable. It's, uh, it's, it's great. It's absolutely insane. And like, you know, you know, I kind of, I, I knew I had, you know, elementary knowledge of the 1995 Mariners. I didn't even realize they were two, two games to two games to none down and, you know, facing elimination from the very beginning. I didn't realize that they came back from down five, nothing in game four. I mean, it's it's a beautiful baseball story that, you know, I think we're doing justice here by talking about here on the show to be named later. I mean, how many times did we reference, like, the win probability was stacked against them and they still came back and won the games? Yeah, and, you know, I, you know I'm not too familiar with, with how many times a team will face that, but that has to be, like, near an all-time high of... Especially for that small of a sample size. Like, that was less than a calendar month. Yeah, I can't imagine what they did, you know between April and April and August, you know, it's insane. So the Mariners are now going on to the American league championship series to face the 144 Cleveland Indians. Uh, they lost in six games. The dream was over. They didn't end up winning the world series. However, on October 23rd, this is the following statement from the Seattle times. The Mariners finally get a stadium when the Metropolitan King County Council votes 10 to 3 to implement a financing package that has been approved by the state legislature in special session October 14th. The plan calls for the Mariners to kick in $45 million, with the $59 million coming from state sales tax credit, $48 million coming from scratch-off state lottery games, from the rest of the country-wide taxes on a restaurant, bar tabs, car rentals, and ballpark admissions. The Mariners have won. They have got the new stadium. They're going to live on as the Seattle Mariners and Safeco field is coming. So in legacy, of course, to quite simply put it, this is the team that saved baseball in Seattle. They changed the culture in Seattle baseball forever. And Oh, by the way, those fans are still loyal to this day in 2019, despite a last place season, the Mariners ranked seventh in the AL in season wide attendance out of 15 games. The people still care about this team. And the next time you watch a Seattle Mariners game, I want you to think back to 1995, because without this group of guys, you're not watching a Seattle Mariners game. Yeah. And uh, fittingly, the recording date of this episode, actually 25th anniversary of Ken Griffey breaking Mm -hmm. that wrist. And basically I, I would imagine all hope for, um, for that season. And ultimately for baseball being in Seattle, Seattle kind of seemed lost, but mm-hmm. the surrounding cast were able to get it together. And I mean, one of the greatest stories for a franchise ever for a single it's season. absolutely perfect. I mean, I guess the one thing you could have asked for was a World Series, but the fact that they're even alive today is quite a miracle. I think yeah, we're and, a little bit there. You know, the goal, of course, is to win the World Series every time, but they achieved the ultimate goal which was saving baseball in their city and and they set yeah they changed changed the culture forever like that team started the tradition of Seattle Mariners baseball essentially and you know you you look at 
the rest of Seattle as well. I mean, the Sonics left in 2007. I cannot imagine how bleak things would have looked while, you know, only having the Seahawks over there. You know, now, you know, the Sonics aren't there, but they they have baseball. The, sounder, the Sounders draw some crowds too, though. Yeah, the they have the WNBA team that does very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have the hockey team coming over, you know, I don't know when, but they do have an expansion team starting in Seattle very soon. Yeah. So, like, you know, we – how – if not for this team, how would uh, sports in Seattle look and, you know – with this it team, could be, it would very well be different. Like this, like Seattle is now known as a great sports town. Now, like of course the Seahawks, they have the twelfth man. You know, one of the most literally known as the loudest fan base in the NFL. The Sounders have crazy fans. The Mariners, of course, still draw really good attendance, even if the quality of the product on the field isn't ideal. Like this is this this team, you could argue, made Seattle into the sports town it is today. Yeah, because you know the twelfth. The 12th man, I didn't really hear, you know, they weren't really making rounds until like the late aughts, the late like 2000s decade. Yeah. And then of course, you know, when they started winning championships. So, you know, 95 Mariners probably kind of sparked that. And as you said, changed, you know, baseball culture and changed sports culture in Seattle. So that wraps up the beautiful story of the 1995 Seattle Mariners. It was an honor to to uh, cover this team. And by the way, uh, I would be remiss to mention this. Uh, John Boyce and Alex Rubenstein of SB Nation uh, recently produced, writ, wrote, and narrated a three-hour, 40-minute, six-episode-long documentary about the entire history of the Seattle Mariners going all the way back to when uh, the franchise started and even before that. Uh, I would highly, highly recommend checking it out. It's on YouTube. It's free. Uh, it was unbelievable to watch. And that was a big inspiration about how passionate I was about covering this team. Yeah. And when, when did the first episode drop for that? Because I mean, it was like right when the quarantine started and like, I think it was on opening day, actually March 26th. But you know, to, to give yourself credit before they did anything on the 95 Mariners, I already picked them as the team I wanted to do for that. You yeah. Picked them, you know, exactly. and you had competition with the 2001 team. So good on you for recognizing that. Thank you. So now it is time for our favorite part of the show. Chris, I believe I picked first this time. Uh, yeah, let's go. So, uh, oh yeah, I forgot to mention it on the Ted Williams <laughs> part of the episode, but because, you know, basically the rundown, because there is no baseball going on, as of now, that could change with some uh, better proposals by the by the owners and stuff. But because there's nothing going on, there's really nothing to talk about, you know, no free agent signings or anything. We're going history-based. We're picking one team and one uh, player to talk about every week. Uh, now we're breaking it down into two different parts of one episode. Mm-hmm. So I picked 30 players. Daniel picked 30 teams. We each pick a number assigned to either a team or a player. It's completely random. And uh, this past week, it landed on Ted Williams and the 1995 Mariners. So Daniel, Daniel will decide the fate of our next Wednesday episode uh, with by picking whatever number between 1 and 25 right now. All right, I turned 20 this week, so I think it's only fitting that I choose player number 20. Player number 20. 
so I remember last week you, you talked about how, you know, I, oh, I didn't know we were going to go far this far back, you know, oh week with Ted Williams. With number 20, you have selected a player that Babe Ruth said he was the best hitter that he ever saw. And unfortunately, his, uh, his career got cut short, and he's actually not in the Hall of Fame. Next Wednesday, we are doing Shoeless Joe Jackson. Wow. Okay. Okay. Wow. This is yes. going to be an interesting one. This is going to be an interesting one. We are going to have to watch Eight Men Out, uh, the movie. Yes. So we are doing Shoeless Joe Jackson for the this next is episode. Be- it's probably going to be a little shorter because, you know, his career was a little shorter. But and there wasn't, there's not that much documentation on him either, other than, you know, the 1919 Black Sox. Definitely no video, for sure. Yeah, it's our, it's our earliest one yet. And uh, I'm going to go ahead for the team we are doing for next Friday's episode. Uh, I'm going to go with number 22. Number 22. Okay. This is like, like, the, like the 1995 Seattle Mariners. Um, they were a team that sort of brought back a winning culture uh, for their city. And I'm talking about the 2013 Pittsburgh Pirates. Wow. The yeah. 2013 Pirates. The, the Johnny Cueto game. You got yeah. Russell Martin and Marlon Bird going deep in the wildcard game. Yeah, this is a fun one. You got Garrett Cole's rookie season. Mm-hmm. This is going to be interesting. I'm excited to see what comes of this one. So, yeah, and that closes the book on the second part of episode 38 of the show to be named later. Of course, if you're listening, uh, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, as of this date, we are not on Apple Podcasts. So if you're listening on on Spotify, uh, go check out our YouTube channel. Watch the videos with us on YouTube. Uh, that YouTube channel is called the uh, STBNL with Christianta and Daniel Curran. Um, and then, of course, if you're on YouTube and you just found out we are on Spotify as of this date, go follow our podcast, STBNL with Christianta and Daniel Curran. Yes. Um, follow us on social media. Follow me at Chris underscore Gianta on Twitter. Follow Daniel at Daniel underscore Curran on Twitter. And that closes the book on Ted Williams and, you know, for this part of the episode, the 1995 Seattle Mariners. And we're looking forward to seeing you guys next Wednesday where we, we will be talking about Shoeless Joe Jackson and also next Friday when we will be talking about the 2013 Pittsburgh Pirates. See you next week.